0: Lord, we just pray over tonight, over this word. I ask you, Holy Spirit, right now, just invade every life. Lord, we bind any distractions, hindrances, anything out of you. We break its power and hem it in, in the name of Jesus. No distractions. We bind it up. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to invade this place and fill every life in a way that locks people in and captivates them to where we can give you our best dear, our full attention, our minds are focused. Lord, I pray there be such an anointing on this word tonight that our minds will be locked in to focus on what you're revealing to us. Lord, anoint our eyes to see and ears to hear, that we have eyes and ears of the Spirit, and we're really truly able to perceive what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us. Lord, I pray, give us good fertile soil in our hearts and our minds spiritually, and let your word go out of my mouth as living seeds of truth, the parable of the seed in the sower. And Lord, that it will go out and land and plant into good fertile soil, of people's lives and be watered by the spirit of God, take root and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. It's not going to be thirtyfold, It's not going to be 60. It's going to be a hundredfold and it's not going to be a root that withers away. No, it's going to be something that's established and Lord, I pray that as this word goes out, your word is described in the word of God as a hammer. Let it go out Lord and break down strongholds, structures, lies, deceptions, things that the enemies try to set up even hard hearts, And deceived minds. Let it break down the strongholds. Let your word go out as the sword of the Lord. That cuts away what needs to go. And light that shines into every dark place. Lord that exposes and drives out lies. Deception of the enemy. And brings truth. And revelation. So Lord we agree your word. You said in your word that it would go forth. And accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. It will not return void. So we come into agreement and ask you now to let it go forth and accomplish that under a mighty anointing by the glory of your presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that the word will go forth and bear fruit and be powerful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Lord, I'm going to continue my series on deception and mixture. I'm going to part nine. I'm going to talk about what I feel, at least in part, brought revival to River of Life. And this is an important word tonight because as we're getting established, we're getting our own place. I know we got some people out tonight. I wish everybody could hear this. But listen, this is the word that I feel is going to help establish us in the future. As we go out of here, we get our own place. God's going to start bringing new people in. And we've got to be established in some things. And that's why I've been doing this series. I felt the Lord tell me he wants to really deal with some stuff. I want to break through some deception kind of jerk things back on track, bring revelation, and just help lay a good foundation for where we're going, okay? Now, I know that a lot of times in revival, people will say, well, we don't know why God fell, we don't know why God chose us, and I know they're trying to be humble, but the truth of the matter is that's kind of a false humility. There is a reason that God shows up, and there's a reason why he doesn't, and that's just the way it is. And I want to share tonight from my heart from, and, and humility and love, but I want to share this because of this reason. If we can learn why God is moving in certain places, other people can learn from that and start seeing moves of God there. You hear me? And not only that, we can kind of sustain what we have going here and keep the momentum. So there is a reason that God moves in certain places. So anyway, I'm going to give you tonight some reasons. I don't believe this is exhaustive, but I believe it is pretty thorough as to why I believe God is moving in River of Life and will continue to move and it's going to increase and perpetuate big time. In the days to come, you guys are going to be surprised at what God's going to do. Um, Anyway, so let me go ahead and get into this. Let me give you my definitions. I've been listening to an incredible series on revival, and I I love it. I've been really blessed by it. Um, There's a little terminology difference between me and this individual. Let me give you my definitions here. There's a difference between having powerful church services. How many of you guys have grown up around some kind of Pentecost or whatever? Some of you have, at least to some degree. And so you remember how sometimes in church services you'd have a powerful service, the Holy Spirit fall and people get touched, and then it didn't happen next week. Or maybe an evangelist would come in, and there would be a powerful move of God while he's there for a month, two months, and then when he left, the move of God went with him. You guys remember this? Okay. Those are what I call powerful services. You know, they're good, they're really powerful, but it's not revival. It's not revival. Now, here's my definition of revival. Revival is similar to what we've seen in places like Toronto, Argentina, um, Brownsville, places like that. That's, those are revivals. They're all a little bit different, but they are revival. And what revival is is bringing life back from the dead. And let me say this. You've got to tap into things. Whenever Elijah prayed for the rain, he was rejoicing at the cloud the size of a man's hand, a cloud this big. He was rejoicing at that little big cloud because he knew it's beginning. And I love this analogy. Bill Johnson uses this. He says, you know, you can go up to an apple tree and there'll be these little green stubby apples that just haven't quite made it yet. Little baby apples, okay, whatever you want to call them. And he said, you can pick one of those things off and you can look at that thing and you can say, this is not an apple. It is an apple. It's just not fully ripe yet. Okay. So revival many times will come that way. The Bible says don't despise the days of small beginnings, and most people do. And that's probably why a lot of people are passed over for revival. Whenever they pray and the cloud the size of a man's hand comes, they go, ah, whatever. You know, if they would tap into what God's doing, really lay hold of it, they would eventually see a mighty downpour. So I believe that these revivals, I believe that we've already begun to see a move of God here, what I would call revival. But let me say this. There's, there's that level of revival that I'm talking about where you're seeing people get saved, you're seeing healings, you're seeing miracles, you're seeing deliverances, and, and you're seeing really good services. People are set on fire, the power of God. But now I'm going to take it to the next level. I call this next level a just a sovereign move of God. This is where intercessors have been praying, and it's the fullness of time, and the Lord says, I'm going to come down and visit this place, and it's, it's sovereign. I mean, it's just supernatural. It's amazing. And this is where the Spirit of God invades an area like in the First and Second Great Awakenings, like in Wales, like in the Hebridean revival, where people, even in bars and, and out on the streets, are, fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you have to run out there and gather them all in because the Spirit of God has just broke out. That's a sovereign move. In my definition, that's a sovereign move of God. But God just doesn't do that for no reason. There's got to be intercession over a period of time that you're really crying out to him, and then he will come. And I believe with all my heart what's happening in America is this. We've, we're have we at the brink of some kind of a move of God that I really believe if, if the church in America will handle it right and will pray and, and will... I believe that we're going to see another awakening, and it's, eventually it's going to be like that, where people out on the streets, the Spirit of God just starts moving. And we've seen these type of moves before um, in different ways, but I remember back in the, in the Jesus revival of the 60s and 70s, early 70s, during that time, people that lived through it, and I even have a witness over here that will tell you, it was easy. You go on the street and talk about Jesus, and people just start crying and get saved right and left. It was a, it was a move of God for the souls. See what I'm saying? And I believe it's going to be like that, but greater. I believe that churches now have got to catch on to what's going on. Let me say this, too. During the 90s, we saw this major wave of revival. It really started in Argentina. And then Rodney Howard Brown brought a different move of God from Africa here. But those two were kind of the beginning of this wave, Argentine revival and Rodney Howard Brown. Well, what happened was it formed this incredible tsunami that came through and you saw revivals like Toronto and then out of Toronto you saw Holy Trinity Brompton and, and Sunderland and other places then you saw Brownsville and you saw um, Smith come out of that and it was just this wave and really they were all one big giant revival in different manifestations one giant tsunami okay and what the prophecies have been is that that was the little wave now, God's about to send the big one. That could be scary if we didn't know our God. Amen. So, I believe, though, that the, that revival was the outer court where God was getting us ready. But I really believe that this next move of God is going to be like the holy place where we're really going in deeper. That's just my opinion about it. All right. So, how many want to be ready for that? That's what my heart is because I believe that's coming to America. I don't know when. It, it could be in the next year. It could be in the next 10 years. I can't tell you, but I do believe with these blood moons, it is a sign. I believe that something will happen with Israel, and I believe that something will happen with the church, but I don't know what. But I do know that we are primed for revival. There's been prophecies about revival, and I believe it's coming to this nation. I want to be right in the middle. When God shows up, don't you want to be like a lightning rod? If he's going to fall somewhere, don't you want to be the little lightning rod that's stuck up in the air that just he's going to make sure he hits you somehow? You're going to be there? All right. So I believe that we've been preparing a wineskin, but there's many other places that have. There's other places that have been praying, seeking God. When God comes the way he's coming, there's going to be a lot of places seeing a move of God throughout America and all over the world. All right, so let me give you a couple of scriptures and just go through what I believe is very important for us. In Philippians two twenty one, it says, "All seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ." That scripture is one of the saddest scriptures to me in the in the New Testament. There's a couple scriptures that really stick out to me that are really sad. One of them is whenever Jesus said, "Eat my flesh, drink my blood," and he and you know they got offended before they understood he was talking about communion. And it says, "All of them departed and left Jesus." That's another sad scripture. And then when Peter denied the Lord, there's different scriptures in there that are just really sad. But this one is really sad to me because you know that it has to be true because it's in the Bible. And the Bible says that all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ, not those of the Lord. That's sad. But you see that. You see that most ministries, churches, Christians, pastors across the board, the overwhelming majority are about their own kingdom and their own stuff. They're not really seeking heaven going, Lord, what are you doing? If that means that I have to have no reputation, if that means I have to sacrifice, if that means I have to work a secular job, if that means I have to give up things, if I have to walk away from things, if I have to sell everything on, whatever I have to do, I just want to be about what you want. What is on your heart, Jesus? I lay it all down. You don't see a lot of that. So anyway, that's where I'm coming from tonight is that that we have a heart from heaven to really seek the Lord about what he wants, what's on his heart. And I can tell you this, in this coming revival, it's going to be about souls. That's his heart. He's wanting to see a breakthrough where there's a great harvest of souls. But remember Jesus, whenever he dealt with the seven churches in Revelation 2 through 3, he would tell them, hey guys, you're doing this, this, and this right. And then he would tell them, but you're doing this wrong. And then he would say, to, he would give them a promise and say, if you'll repent of that and overcome it, I'll give you this. Remember that? That was the pattern. He would say first, he would say you're doing all these things right over here, but then he would rebuke him and say, "But you're doing this terribly wrong. You got to deal with this." And then he would encourage them and say, "If you deal with that, you overcome. I'm gonna give you a promise." And he'd give him a promise. I'm gonna cl- come back and close with that thought. Okay. Well, let's go through what brings revival and what has brought revival to us. What has brought the move of God? What What is it that that we sense here? What How did it happen? I promise you this. It didn't just happen. Okay, it didn't just fall out of the sky and just randomly happen. I don't believe that any revival does. I think that sometimes people think it does, but there's some intercessor somewhere that's praying. God does not just do that. There has got to be prayer and intercession somewhere, but there's a lot of praying people. And I remember that uh, the story about Smith Wigglesworth, and he was praying and said, Lord, who is the, the, the mightiest warrior here in England? Who's the greatest man of God in England? And he was thinking to himself, well, it might be me at the time. you know." And he had a vision where God showed him a little woman intercessor that was mightily praying for Smith Wigglesworth to be used of God. And that humbled him. He thought, God does not see me as the mighty man of God. <laughs> God, God sees the intercessor woman that nobody knows who she is. So it's the intercessors, really, and that's why I felt led to pray over you guys as intercessors, because intercession is, is a very high calling because you're not going to get a lot of credit in this life for it. You're probably not going to get pats on the back. You're probably not going to be recognized. You're probably not going to have a plaque on the church where revival breaks out that says, in the honor of this intercessor. And because of your prayers, you know, it's probably not going to happen. It's probably going to be some evangelist or somebody else that gets the recognition. But when you get to heaven, you will get a lot of recognition from the Lord, and that's all that matters, isn't it? Well, it's a very high calling. So how does revival happen? How did it happen here? Persistence in prayer, fasting, and weathering warfare. You have to be persistent in prayer over a long period of time that you keep seeking God keep seeking God until you finally see the cloud, the size of a man's hand. And then you keep seeking God and keep seeking God in prayer and fasting until it gets a little stronger. And then you keep praying, you keep fasting till it keeps growing and you keep doing that and keep doing that. Do you see where I'm going with this? You can't just do it for a little while and say, well, I'm going to pray and seek God for revival for three days. This is a big deal for me, Lord. I've never prayed and fasted three days. I'm going to do it. I'm expecting. And God may move in your life, but you're probably not going to see a major, mighty nation-altering, sovereign move of God explode like that. You're going to have to buckle down and seek God over a period of time, okay? And historically, that's what's happened. I believe, just studying it out, that the Moravians that prayed and fasted and sought God so hard night and day, night and day for all those years were really the ones, in my opinion, that gave birth to the first great awakening where God used people like Wesley and, and Whitfield and Edwards. All right. So just a couple things. Remember the story of Edward Miller. He was a frustrated missionary in Argentina back. If I remember right in the forties, uh, somewhere around there. And he was frustrated. He was trying to give out tracts and witness. Nothing was happening. And God spoke to him. So I want you to pray. I wish that, Ministers that are frustrated would turn to that a lot of times instead of just put it on autopilot. Go seek God. And Edward Miller started seeking God, seeking God. You guys remember the story. And finally, they had a breakthrough and they had had that holy visitation where God showed up. Remember that girl hit the table. God showed up. All of them were slammed under the power of God and something happened in the spirit realm. And then later, whenever he started that Bible school, that angel ran in there and it scared all of them half to death. But they had heaven invade earth. Why? Because they prayed and they fasted and they sought God. And it was Edward Miller's ministry really that gave birth in prayer for the great Argentine revival. That came many years later. But truthfully if it wasn't for Lila Turhine writing about it in her book. Probably nobody would even know who Edward Miller was. But it's that persistence in prayer. And remember this, that you know Rebecca Brown talked about in her book that when, when Satan's kingdom tries to come in and tries to infiltrate and attack churches, what do they do? The first thing they try to do is remove prayer. Prayer is the, the backbone and the power of the church. And I'm going to tell you guys, as you're going into the days ahead, you better have strong prayer lives. Because it's going to be the level of prayer that you have in your life is going to determine the level of victory and authority and power and anointing that you walk in. So Rodney Howard Brown said that he went and preached at this Native American um, reservation or something, wherever he's at, and that's that's some tough ground. But Rodney's got the anointing to break that thing open. So he did. They had revival; it was awesome, you know. And um, he said that he, he says this now. So if you ever hear him say it, you'll know what happened. But the Indians, by and large, just are real stoic, and they you know. And there was this guy that got hit by the power of God really hard, so he's screaming real loud, ah, you know, and he falls out, and God mightily touches him. And this this older Indian guy comes up to him and says, you know, I want prayer. And Brother Rodney said, okay. And he goes to pray for him. He goes, no. He said, um, I want big Holy Ghost like that, not little Holy Ghost. (laughs) Big Holy Ghost, not little Holy Ghost. So sometimes you might hear Brother Rodney say that, "Me, me want big Holy Ghost in this place tonight, okay. And people are like, what's he talking about? All right, but you know, it's the, it's the level of prayer, the, the simplicity, I just heard this, the simplicity of this one preacher that said this, he said, listen, lots of prayer, lots of power. Little prayer, little pr- little power. No prayer, no power. That's about as simple as you can get. Little kids can understand it, but it's extremely powerful, and it's extremely true. The second thing, so number one is prayer, obviously. We've got to have a foundation. We've got to keep the momentum We've got to pray. But if you guys want victory in the days ahead, you're going to have to have a personal prayer life. Number two is being willing to be different. Now, that is hard. Everybody else is doing the same thing, by and large, and they're seeing the same type of fruit, and all of a sudden somebody says, I want to go back and be a little more biblical and see Book of Acts Christianity, and I want to do things a little differently because I want to see Book of Acts Christianity. And you break out of the norm, and that always brings persecution. And it's like a spiritual bigotry, isn't it? It's like spiritual prejudice and bigotry because just because of the fact that you're different, people will persecute what's different just because it's different. It may be 100% biblical and right, but they don't like it just because for the simple fact that it is different. But you've got to be willing to be different than the norm, and whether the persecution that comes from that. And one of the revelations God gave me was just the pattern of the tabernacle, and I taught on it last night. You guys know, but I, you know, those that are interested, you can go back and look over the Priesthood of the Believer series that I did on our website, listen to all that. But I believe that has paved the way for a lot of what we have today. But you got to be willing to be different if you want to see revival. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? Because revival's different. It's like all of a sudden the, the church has backslidden really far. They're not seeing Book of Acts Christianity. They're not seeing healings and miracles like they should. Deliverance of demons and different things. And, and even though you read about it in the Bible, they're not seeing it, but they should. And all of a sudden somebody comes in and goes, let's have revival. Let's see something different. And they're going to be persecuted for that. And when they do see revival and, and it breaks forth and they start seeing success, a lot of times jealousy rises up in others and there'll be persecution because of that. And did you know that the Bible says the reason the Pharisees didn't like Jesus because they were jealous of his ministry. Did you know that? But John 1.14, like I read last night, says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. But the word became flesh and dwelt, and that word dwelt as tabernacled among us. And there's a revelation of Jesus Christ in the tabernacle, and I believe the patterns that I laid out, and that Priesthood of the believer series has helped pave the way for what we're seeing today. The third one is this, being faithful with the basics. Anybody will tell you, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. So when we were teenagers, my mother wanted us to go skiing because we grew up in Texas and we just have not skied. We played lots of football, but we didn't ski, okay? And so she said, we're going to go skiing. So we went somewhere and went skiing. And me and uh, my youngest brother, Kyle, we did not have the patience for the bunny slope. You understand, I played sports and stuff. I was thinking I could handle this. It's stupid. You're just on a couple sticks. Let's just go down the hill. We can get this. So we went down the bunny slope a few times like, yeah, okay, we got this. And we did not have the patience to stay on the bunny slope very long because it's boring. I mean, you know, you're going down there. You guys, How many guys been skiing? You're going down there. You got your little skis together like the pigeon toe thing you're going real slow and there's little children going past you and it's like this is embarrassing i'm not doing this you see little grandmas go by you and you're thinking so anyway we went we went on the bigger slope and we spent the better part of that day wiping out man i mean every time and and my other brother we were really making fun of him because he stayed on the bunny slope and so we're going down the big slopes. We're wiping out and everything, but we're laughing at him. We're pointing at him because he's still going down real slow, pigeon-toe real slow, and little kids are passing him. We're, we're pointing at him and laughing. But you know what? The next day after all that, I woke up in so much pain. I, and I felt like I was beat up bad by a gang, man. I was so beat up because I fell so many times. And, and I still wasn't that great at skiing because I kept wiping out and really didn't get the basics. And my other nerdy brother that we were making fun of got up there, and he was skiing great. And the whole time, the whole embarrassing thing about the whole thing was this. We're three teenagers that that play sports, and we're looking at our mom on the, the big slope, just skiing like a professional, going down, you know, like this, throwing powder. And I remember thinking, man, this is so embarrassing. And we never got that good as she was, I'll tell you. But... The point is is that it takes being faithful with the basics before you can get good at it because I tried to skip the basics. I thought I'm tired of the little kids flying by me. I'm tired of the grannies going by me. This is embarrassing. You know, I'm gonna go on the big slope. And I never took the time to really get down the basics, and because of that I really never was that great of a skier. Even to this day. Of course I grew up in Texas. I have a good excuse. Okay? But I'm not that great of a skier. And my point is, is that for, for us to see a move of God, we've got to get the basics down, okay? What is the basics? Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. That's fundamental basic. Now, be honest. How many ministries out there are truly a house of prayer for all nations right now? Think of all of them. One in a 100? Maybe. This should be foundational. Okay, this is, this is bunny slope, all right? This, this is the basics. You know, the, the fact that we're a house of prayer for all nations, it should be just normal Christianity. And another thing is, is, what about street evangelizing? Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Street evangelism, getting out and win the lost, should be, this is the ABCs of Christianity. But you do these things, you make your ministry a house of prayer, and you get out there and, and win souls, and people look at you like, oh, you're radical. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Radical? I mean, this is just basic Christianity. I mean, you read the book of Acts. They went and they prayed. The power of God fell. Then they went out and won souls. Then they would go back and they would pray some more. The power of God would fall. Then they would go win souls. I mean, it was just basic. And the basics of, of just normal Christianity about just being faithful in church attendance and faithful being a tither and faithful in church... And, and people look at you like you're some kind of radical or something, you know. Come on, give me a break. So whenever we get to the end of this thing, what do we want to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. But we've got to be faithful with the basics. So what I'm saying is this, as we grow and as we move forward, there's going to be probably people come in that all of this is new to them. But you, we cannot in any way compromise what God has done in us and what's going on, they're either going to come up and start doing things with us and support what's going on or not, but we're not, we're not going to go down. We're not going to backslide back and start having some other type of church going on. No, we're going to continue being a house of prayer, continue seeing the power of God, and continue ministering on the streets. Okay? Number four, I believe consistently taking communion, speaking blessings, and the tithing. I really believe this is a big part of why God is moving. Now I've taught enough on the power of the Lord's Supper that I don't really have to say much about it. But I believe just being faithful and consistent with it, week after week after week. Whenever Dick Rubin came to Brownsville and he preached along these lines, and and John Kilpatrick heard him and he said, "Man, this is really touching my heart. It affected the church. It helped prepare Brownsville for the revival." And as as Pastor Kilpatrick heard Dick Rubin, the Lord spoke to him said, if you'll begin to take communion, he said, and you fill my house with the bread of presence. He said, I will fill this house with my presence. And so Pastor Kilpatrick said, all right, I will do it. No problem. Let's go forward with it and begin to take communion with them week after week. But you know what? God did do that. And I believe there's something to it. The Bible calls in the table of showbread, and it was in the tabernacle, it called that bread the bread of presence. I believe there is a connection with the Lord's Supper and the presence of God. I just do, and I always have. And I believe as we're taking the Lord's Supper as a church on a regular basis, that it is helping to bring God's presence. And not only that, speaking blessings. As we speak blessings, you know, and begin to curb our mouths from being negative. You know, let me give you number one way that you can pretty much ensure yourself that you're not going to get a breakthrough. You ready? Grumble, complain, be negative. And you'll, you'll look back 20 years later and go, man, I never got the victory. Just keep grumbling and complaining and being negative. Some people, they, they never go into a promised land. They never break out because their heart is not right. They still, Whenever we grumble, complain, or negative, what we're basically saying is we're not satisfied or, or happy with the way Jesus is running our lives. You know, but as you thank the Lord and as you praise him, you enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise and you worship him and you're speaking blessings out of your mouth, you will possess the promised land eventually. All right. So communion, speaking blessings and tithing. What does the Bible say about tithers? Listen, one of the things about leadership is leaders have to be tithers. Why? Because the Bible says if you don't tithe, you're stealing from God. Think about that. And so what is the promise of tithing? It says that I will rebuke the devourer and what? I'll open the heavens. I believe that, that because River of Life has been tithers in our leadership and the core group has been tithers, it has caused there to be an open heaven. But if you got a bunch of people in there that were were thieves from God and they, they weren't tithers, their heart's not right and it starts clogging up the heavens. And when you start letting people be in leadership positions as elders and and board members, and and staff members, and they're not tithers, it can literally start clogging the heavens because they're not right with God. So anyway, I believe that that has played in. Do you remember when Abram went before Melchizedek? He brought, he brought a tithe. And then they took communion. Then Melchizedek blessed him. It was all connected. The tithe, the communion, the blessing was connected. And right after Abram, went before Melchizedek and Melchizedek spoke that blessing over him. It was right after that. You read that all those promises God had given him just started happening right and left. Another reason I believe God has been moving really powerfully is river of life has been doing its part to unite the body of Christ in prayer. We've, we've really made an effort to mobilize corporate Prayer. I'm talking about corporate prayer in the city and in the region with those that are willing to do it. There's some people that are some people that aren't. But nonetheless, I would say River of Life overall has really been sacrificially willing to go places and support other prayer movements and bring the body of Christ together in prayer. And I believe our heart for unity has been something that has also helped to bring about this move of God. So that, that's important because Psalm 133 says, When the brethren come together in unity, the anointing oil flows. God commands his blessing. Just like last night when we connected with Jesus' calls. And there was, it was so beautiful to see. I mean, you had, you had um, the blacks and the whites and the Indian and, and Hispanic and, and all of us together. It was a house of prayer for all nations. And it wasn't just um, black people here. But, I mean, there was people there literally from Africa that were there. There were people that were literally from India that are residents of India. And all those people coming together in prayer. And how many guys felt the presence of God, man? It was awesome. But see, Jesus smiles on that unity. So it's the unity. All right, so with that said about coming together in prayer and unifying, you also have to allow God to remove the wrong people out. And this can be hard because you love them. But you have to allow Him to purge out and remove out people that are divisive and that are not right because they can hinder. Another thing is not being denominationally minded at all. Institutionalized denominational Christianity has historically been one of the greatest enemies of revival, hands down. It's not the the heathen out there. You know, back in the days, times past, they'd throw rotten vegetables, throw a dead cat at preachers, you know. Anyway, and all this stuff that was going on, but that never really did anything to hinder the move of God. But it was whenever they started getting denominational mindsets to where man started controlling the move of God, it died every time. And that's really how Susa Street stopped. They started making it into a denomination. And when they did that, the revival started drying up. Now, I'm not saying denominations are wrong. I'm not saying it's sin. But I'm just saying whenever you allow man to control, that means God's not in control and that's where revival will not take place. And most moves of God, one of the greatest moves of God, and my wife and I just went there. I don't want to say where, but you'll know. My wife and I just went there, but they had, a, a, they had to break off from their denomination altogether because that denomination was very much against the move of God. You have to decide, are you going to go with God or are you going to go with man? Think about the price that Heidi Baker had to pay. She was living in Mozambique, her and Roland. And their main supporter financially that was given 90% of their finances and and also supplied them with the buildings that they desperately needed said if you do not <clears throat> separate yourself from Toronto and what's going on in Toronto, we're going to stop funding your ministry 100%. It's gone. That's 90%. And when you live in a foreign land and you're depending on those funds, that is a major sacrifice. And she said, I can't do that. I have to go after God. They, they did what they said. They pulled all their funds. They took away the buildings. Heidi didn't know what to do. But God supernaturally intervened. And now God has blessed them with, you know, a lot more than what they ever had. And what about Bill Johnson's story? People say, well, why, God's, why is God moving in Bethel? Well, I believe one of the reasons is this. Because, you know, he was, I don't remember the exact numbers, okay, but he was running something like 1,000 people. Then revival broke out, and half, it was half the people. Okay, so let's say 1,500, cut it in half. There was half the people left. So he had to make up his mind. Am I going to go after revival? Or am I going to try to get those people back? And he went after revival. There's always a price in this. When you start going after God for a move of God, don't be surprised whenever you lose some friends, okay? You have have people stabbing the back. But just be encouraged because, listen, Jesus... When he was here and he had his powerful ministry, toward the end of his life, he had a Judas. Okay, Judas betrayed him, and he was one of the twelve. He had a Judas, and he also had a Peter who denied the faith. Think about that. Paul had a Demas. Remember, Demas left him and forsook him for the world. So you can't can't get deterred by that. But we're going to seek unity, and we're going to squelch any type of division, And we'll deal with any type of divisive people. All right. Number six, hosting God's presence and having unstructured services. How many knows it's easier to give birth than to raise the dead? Let that sink in for a minute. That's like that saying, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Think about it for a minute. All right. It's easier to give birth than it is to raise the dead. So a lot of times it's easier Just to start something fresh and new that God's going to move in, than it is to try to go into some dead church where they don't want revival and try to bring it in there because it's like raising the dead. But I believe that's another reason, is because I wasn't interested in going into the frozen chosen and trying to cast a fire on them. I was interested in saying, hey, look, let's all start something that God can move, and it's about God moving, okay? and hosting God's presence and having unstructured services. Services where you say, Holy Spirit, come do what you want to do and you actually mean it. That means he's going to come and move in different ways and you have to be willing to go. Remember, Jesus said that you do not pour new wine into old wineskin. If you do, the skin will burst. And old wineskin is like those dead, dry ministries and churches that maybe God moved 100 years ago Maybe he moved 50 years ago. Maybe he moved 10 years ago, but it's dead now. And you're trying to come in and you're trying to put new wine into that thing and it'll just bust all to pieces. So number six is hosting God's presence and having unstructured services. You want know unstructured services really is? It's a new wineskin. It's flexible. And whenever you have unstructured services where you're willing to move with the Holy Spirit, the Lord can come in and put new wine into that, the outpouring of the Spirit. Number seven, reaching out to the lost and the hurting. Jesus said the Son of God, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and Matthew nine thirty six said, When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. So see, the fact that you guys in River of Life have had a heart for the lost and the hurting, being willing to go out to the homeless, feed the homeless, being willing to go out to the nursing homes, being willing to go to the hospitals, being willing to get out there and minister on the streets and touch the lost and hurting. That is also a big part of seeing revival. All through the scriptures, ministering to the poor touches God's heart. Number eight, blessing and praying for Israel. God says, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And the fact that we stand with Israel, we pray for Israel, and we actually, listen, it's not just a matter of praying for and speaking a blessing over Israel, we do that, but also literally financially wanting to do something that will help them, that will bless them in a practical way. That's why when Jesus, it was interesting, the story of the centurion, you remember the story where where Jesus went to the centurion and had a sick servant, but it was interesting because the Jewish people told Jesus when the centurion's servant came, they leaned over to him and said, Jesus, this man's a good man. He built for us a synagogue. In other words, he blessed Israel and Jesus heard that and he got up and went to go heal his servant. See, when you do something practically to bless Israel, I'm telling you God will bless you. Number nine: redigging the wells of revival. Some of you were not here for those days. Those were challenging days, interesting days of spiritual mapping. but listen, I'm going to tell you, redigging the wells of revival is very powerful. When you go into a region, you need to find out where has God moved in times past. And you need to go to those places and redig those moves of God. Now, we, we did that. We found out here in, in this area and other, and we tapped into that, and God began to move in our midst from those wells of revival. And another thing was the spiritual mapping. We mapped out where the spiritual strongholds, for example, um, there was a time where we met with prayer for about a year down at Deep Ellum. But, you know, Deep Ellum is a pretty seedy place in Dallas. Did you know it's the only place in all of Dallas in this whole region where it's illegal to actually have a church? <laughs> that ought to tell you something. And they were prophets that said that's where the strong man is. And so we figured, well, let's go right in there and let's start having prayer. But you know what? Going into those places, and, and we had this, it wasn't like doing something wrong, but they had to open a coffee shop and then you could have prayer in the back. Okay, so we rented this place. And uh, from a guy that had a coffee shop, he let us have prayer in the back, which is fine. But as we prayed, remember those days and we it was like pressing through and, and we confessed the sins of the area. And as we redug the wells of revival and as we spiritually mapped out and went into those areas, I'm telling you, it helped to break down the strongholds of the enemy and, and release what God did in times past. It helped to do that. And that makes a huge difference in a region. And in the, in the third story was um, I got this one from uh, Benny Johnson. Yeah, I was at a conference and she was talking and she said that about that whole wakey-wakey. You guys remember that? All right, I shared that. And she talked about how they went to places where God had moved in times past and, and they shout wakey-wakey and it, it, those angels emerged. And you know what? God did do that. I told you guys that story. So anyway, that has a lot to do with, with why God is moving. So the Bible says to rebuild the ancient ruins, the age-old foundations. Or right, number 10, Honoring the fathers and mothers of the faith. What does the Bible say? If you honor your fathers and mothers, things will go well for you and you'll have longevity. I believe one of the reasons why there was longevity in some of these moves of God, like Brownsville, Toronto, and others, there's been longevity, is because they honor the spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith that's gone on before them. One of the ways that you can honor them is, is by doing something like we're doing, where you're going through God's generals and you're reading about their life and studying it. We're honoring them, and you know what? God is moving. You know, And one of the prophets said that that as soon as people started honoring the fathers of the faith, that God would start sending revival, and that actually broke out. Around that time frame, they had a conference on honoring the fathers, and Lakeland and then the Bay of the Holy Spirit broke out right after that. Isn't that awesome? So there's a power in honoring the mothers and fathers of the faith, isn't there? So if you want things in the move of God to have longevity and things to go well for you, make it a point to go out of your way to honor the fathers and mothers of the faith. Say their names, talk about their lives, how they paid the price for us to have today what we have, and honor them, and God will use that power. He'll bless that. All right, number 11, going and receiving impartation where God is moving. The humble and the wise understand this. Now, how many of you guys have experienced that? You've gone somewhere where God is moving, God's touched you, and you brought it back, and you were different. That's happened to me many times, but being willing to humble yourself and physically go to places where God's moving, let them pray over you and get that impartation and bring it back. How many stories have we heard like that? I mean, Steve Hill said he went to the Argentine revival, got prayer, and then he went to uh, Holy Trinity, Brompton, where Randy Clark had been. He got prayer from, from that pastor. And there was that impartation, he said, played into when he went to Brownsville. He, he had, God had touched him at those places. And John and Carol Arnott, before revival broke out in Toronto, they went down to Argentina. They didn't have the money to do it. I heard them talking about it. They said they put it on a credit card. They knew God was moving. They had to go. They, they were willing to put it on a credit card and just go in faith. They went down there. God powerfully touched them. But you have to be willing to humble yourself and go somewhere and let somebody pray over you in these moves of god and what will happen is is that anointing will get on, on you and in you and you'll bring that back and revival will break out where you are the only reason why people won't do that is pride that's the only reason how many times i've heard preachers say things like this well if god wants to touch me he'll touch me here Yeah, I mean, he can touch you here, but that pride right there is the reason he's not going to. If you were humble, you would be willing to go somewhere. It wouldn't be that big a deal. It's not an issue. Just go and receive from God. Just humble yourself and actually believe that God can use somebody other than you. That God can fall somewhere other than your church and outside of your little denominational walls and outside of your racial barriers and just go and receive. Number 12, freedom and praise and worship. This is a big part of revival right here. And I believe this is another reason why God is moving here is because the freedom and praise, the dance. There's something about the dance. Like I talked about last night, there's something about there's an authority. When Jesus took nails in his feet, there's an authority about the dance. But where there's freedom and praise and worship, revival, it goes hand in hand. I believe the fact that we have pursued having freedom in in praise and worship with singing, shouting, dancing, clapping and lifting hands, that freedom has played a large role. Number 13, being loyal to people. Please hear this one. The sons of Zadok. Let me read you this scripture. But the Levitical priests who are the sons of Zadok and who guarded my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me are to come near to me to minister before me. They are to stand before me and offer sacrifices of fat and blood, declares the Lord. They alone are to enter my sanctuary. They alone are to come near my table to minister before me and serve me as guards. They alone. Isn't that interesting? They alone. Them. I will let them come near me. But what's what's the big deal about the sons of Zadok? What is that? Did you know that Zadok was the priest with David? And did you know that whenever David was betrayed by Absalom and he had to leave Israel? Some of you have read this story. It was a big deal. David packed up his group. He had to leave the city. Okay, Zadok could have stayed back with the other regime, but he was loyal to David, and he said, I'm going to go with you. And because of his loyalty to David, I'm telling you, that touched God's heart, and then you read scriptures like this. The sons of Zadok can come near me. There's something about being loyal to people, and I'm going to tell you right now, out of all the things I've preached on, this is one of the ones that you do not see a lot of. You see a lot of betrayal in churches. You see a lot. a lot. Every time you turn around good, you, you see where, where people get offended about these stupidest, crybaby, sissy, little bitty things, but they'll get blown up about it, and they'll leave churches. They'll take people with them. They'll run down pastors. They'll split everybody up. They'll get on the phone. They'll get on the email. They'll do everything they can to destroy as many people as they can, because of their little petty offense, and they are the opposite of the sons of Zadok. The opposite. If you're going to be a son of Zadok, that means that you're somebody that knows how to be loyal and faithful to people. That will stay with them through the thick and thin. How many times, you know, I'm just going to tell you, I've had fair-weather friends. You guys ever had those? There was a minister friend of mine that was older than me, and I, I really... Loved him, and back when I was in Bible school, um, I really spent some time with him, and he invested in my life, but whenever I started going through one of the most difficult times of my entire life, I was it was a major betrayal. I'll talk about it next week more, but whenever all that started going on, this person stopped calling me and just didn't have anything to do with me for like 10 years. And then I bring him back in my life, forgive him. Never, I never even brought it up to him, never said a word, and just picked up where we left off, honored him. Spent time with him everything else. And then I go through the second biggest betrayal of my entire life. And he's on the wrong side of the fence again. Patting them on the back. Telling them they're fine just like they are. Everything's okay. You see what I'm saying? That's not loyalty. You have to be willing to stand with people through the difficult times. Not get on the other side of the fence. There's a, there's a demonic spirit about it. And people get under that influence. You know... I had to, I've had to, and God has tested me, I've had to stand with some friends when it was hard to, and I got a lot of flack, and I didn't even do anything. I was like, well, you know, they actually did do that, but, but anyway, I'm their friend, and I'm going to stand with them, and I don't care if you like me or dislike me because of it. They're still my friend. You can be mad at me, and there are some people that don't like me just because I'm a friend of so-and-so. And it's like, I don't care. You know, don't like me, whatever. He's still my friend. And I'm still going to be loyal to it. And you have to be willing to do that. I had to sit in a very uncomfortable meeting with a dear evangelist, all of you know and love, that comes around here a lot. And um, you know who he is, okay? Anyway, I had to sit in a very uncomfortable meeting because there was another evangelist that was bent on his destruction that was spreading things about him and causing him problems. And I had to sit in the meeting and stand up for him. And, I, you know, it was difficult, but I, I sat through this really awkward meeting for him, with him, to defend him. And it was difficult, but I was willing to stay with him, even though that cost me some things. And some people from that meeting may not like me that much. He was still in the right and I'm still going to be his friend and stand with him through it. OK, so, you know, you know, I, I had another dear friend of mine that had left the church was was totally. He was there for like 10 years, gave his life, left perfectly, exactly, biblically where you're supposed to. It was just time to go. But for whatever reason, some people started rumors and began just really going after him. And I stood up for him and stood by him. And he was ready to get out of the ministry altogether because he has a business where he makes money. He doesn't need the ministry at all. I mean, he was just ready to bail on it. And I called him and met with him, and I said, man, don't do that. God's got his hand on you to start a church, and you know it, you need to do it. And I I paid for him to go to this conference with me, and I spent time with him. And he told me later, he said, now he started a church, and now it's doing really good. And he told me later, he said, if you hadn't have spent the time with me, I probably wouldn't have done that. He said, I was done. you got to be loyal to people. Amen? Amen. That means that's going to be tested. That means there, something's going to happen where you're going to have to see what side of the fence. Are you going to go like with Zadok? Are you going to go with David? Because at that time, David, it did not look good for him. It looked really good for the other camp. It looked like they were taking over. They were the new regime. Here's the young, handsome Absalom and all of his followers, and and David's out. He's the old guy. He's gone. Forget him. And it looked really bad for David's camp, small in number. They even knew that if they went on a head-on battle, David knew that he did not have the strength to overcome it. They had to win this battle by the hand of God and by frustrating um, the counsel of those around Absalom because they didn't have the physical strength to do it head-on. But anyway, Zadok stood with David through that, and God mightily blessed him. Number 14, being persistent in prayer regarding Jubilee. This may be new to people, but Luke 18 talks about the persistent widow did not give up until she saw the breakthrough. I believe that is also number 14. I've taught on that, that God of breakthrough where we've been really persistent and faithful and consistently believing God for a breakthrough that what the devil has damaged is being repaired, what he has stolen is being restored back, what he's trying to put in people's lives, taken out. And you're you really are persistent about the God of breakthrough that you're going to lay hold of that breakthrough. I believe that also is why God has broke through here. You've got to get the breakthrough. I mean, there's a heaviness, and you, you at some point in time, you've got to get the breakthrough. You know, it's like Satan tries everything to try to hinder. I'm going to tell you, whenever you're going to see a genuine move of God and God's hands on you and God's wanting to do it and you know it and you're pressing in, man, there's like there's this giant in front of you, like a Goliath. It's like Satan tries to make the heavens brass and he tries to send as many people as he can to discourage and attack and, 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 and come against you. And you have got to press all the way through till there's a breakthrough and it opens up. That's why David said that whenever he fought the Philistines, remember, he had to depend on God and he was down there and he was waiting and God told him, wait until you hear the sound of marching go over your head in those trees and then you'll know that I went before you. He heard that marching. He knew that God sent the angels in front of him, gave him a supernatural victory and he named that place Baal Perizim, which means the God of breakthrough, but he had to get a breakthrough. So you've got to stay with it until you get on the other side of the breakthrough. Most people quit before they get it. And number 15 and the last thing is you've got to take a stand for holiness and be willing to lose some people over this. This is a big deal. If you're going to wink at sin, God won't bless your ministry. He will not. You may see numbers in the church because you have a bunch of sinners that like you because you wink at their sin. And you you may have a lot of money because they give it to you. But you are not blessed by God to see a move of God where heaven comes down, I mean a mighty move of God where the glory of God invades, you will not see that if you wink at sin. You've got to deal with it. Let me show you the scripture and I close with the scripture. First Corinthians 5.11 says, now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister but is sexually immoral. That means Christians that are living in unrepentant sexual sin. Greedy, an idolater, a slanderer. A slanderer is somebody that runs people down behind their back. It's a gossip. You're not supposed to sit in chilies with this Christian brother or sister that's talking about pastors behind their back. That's sin. It says don't do that. You're not supposed to hang out with those people. You're not supposed to associate with them. You're not supposed to eat meals with them. Avoid them. Or a drunkard or a swindler. A swindler is somebody that's always trying to get money and swindle people out of money. They have dishonest game. He says, Paul says, don't even eat with such a people. Don't hang out with them. Avoid them. You're going to, I promise you, that there's gonna. this will come up at some point in time and there's going to be some people probably mad at you, but you have to obey the Bible. And because there's been people in times past that would not obey the Bible in this area, they were swept away by others. Are you hearing me? That's just the way it is. You have to obey the Word of God. Don't let this get a root in you. Take a stand against sin. Revelation 2.20, nevertheless, I have this against you. Tolerate that woman Jezebel, calls herself a prophet. There's a lot of people going around calling themselves a prophet. And by her teaching, she misleads people into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. But you cannot tolerate the Jezebel spirit. You cannot tolerate... What I'm trying to say is you cannot wink at things. You can't put up with things. You can't tolerate things. You've got to put your foot down and say, I'm not putting up with it. If that means some people go, then so be it. If that means some people hate my guts, who cares? I'm going to put my foot down. We're not putting up with sin in the camp. We're not putting up with Jezebel's. We're not putting up with this divisive garbage. And you have to take a stand for holiness. You're not going to put up with Leviathan's pride and and accusations and division. You be patient. You work with people. And if they're repentant, that's one thing. You love them. But if they're going to justify it and they're not going to repent, forget it, man. Forget it. God will bring somebody else ten times better than them, but do not compromise ever. Amen? You confront religious spirits. You deal with Python head on. You don't put up with it. You blast right through it and keep going. All right, and then the last thing I want to say is about self-sacrifice. Remember, I opened this thing up. I believe this is why God's moving in River of Life, those 15 points. There may be other reasons I'm not thinking of, but I believe that those 15 points are important and we've got to keep them going. We've got to get established in those things and maintain those things and not lose those things. But as I opened this sermon up, I told you about Jesus rebuked the five churches and said, you're doing all these things right, but you're doing this wrong. Now repent and then I'll give you, all right, just kind of along those lines of thinking, not not that this is a rebuke, but I just want you to think about it. But as a group, I want you to ask yourself this. We're doing some things right. I believe you're doing some things right. But I want you to ask yourself this. As a group, how committed really truly are you in your heart to the Lord, to revival, to the ministry? How really truly committed are you to things? Are you willing to give up sleep for the Lord? This is where the rubber meets the road. Let's just get real. Let's get real. Are you willing to give up sleep? Are you willing to stay up late, um, have to get up early and go without sleep and go to work the next day tired because you only got two, three hours of sleep. Are you willing to do that for Jesus? Really? Truthfully? Because you can say, yes, Scott, I am willing. And then you go a couple nights without sleep and all of a sudden, Pastor Scott, I don't know how willing I really am anymore. Are you really willing to, to sacrificially give, you know, whether it's finances or your time? Are you willing to sacrifice to have an all-night prayer meeting like they had last night, which I didn't stay because I had to preach tonight? Are you willing, though, to to sacrificially do what God's calling you to do? You've got to be willing to do it. You've got to be willing that if if we were to have something here where, where we had to go late, we had to get up early, and we had to go night after night, and God was moving in that way, you've got to be willing to lay down your life and say, Lord, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to do it. I'm going to pay the price. Are you willing to fast? That weeds it out real good right there. Are you willing to give up some food? Are you willing to go deeper in Christ and get rid of some things that you need to in life? You know, that's the the question. I really feel, I feel like the Lord is saying this as we're about to go into a whole new season with our ministry, but I feel the Lord saying this. How committed really are people? And I believe that we're all going to be tested in this. But are you willing to do it? Are you really, truly willing to give up and sacrificially give up sleep, time, finances, whatever it takes, give up and sacrifice for the Lord Jesus and and to really lay it down? Because for revival to come, we have to be willing to make some serious sacrifices. It can be very demanding. And I'm telling you, you can be really tired. In this story I've read to you, but listen, Pastor Smell from First Baptist Church in Los Angeles back at the 1905 time frame, somewhere around there. The great revival was happening in Wales. S.B. Shaw, G. Campbell Morgan, talked about it and God was really moving and and God lit a fire in Pastor Smell's heart and he began to passionately pursue revival. Frank Bartleman was the intercessor that helped birth the Sioux Street, wrote Evan Robertson Wells and... And Evan responded to him, and it was so encouraging and and gave him some advice. And Pastor Smiles Church, he was connected with Bartleman in many ways. He, He was so hungry for revival, and he began to pursue it, and revival started happening. It broke out in his church. And because of this, though, it became difficult on the people. They had to have church night after night, you know, and it was difficult on the people, so they rejected revival. And they said, we are not willing to pay the price for this, And so the Lord passed them by and showed up on Bonnie Bray Street with William Seymour. That's a real concern for all of us. You you know, revival finally comes. Do you want to be the group that God has to pass by and go somewhere else? I don't. I want to be willing to lay down my life for this thing. You hear what I'm saying? But God had to pass. This church could have been the greatest Susan Street revival. It would have had a different name. It would have been a different pastor, but it would have been that revival. But they missed God because they weren't willing to sacrifice. After Asusa began, it ran for a few years, and revival was full flame. Probably one of the most powerful revivals since the Second Great Awakening in America. It was marked with the manifest presence of God, and remember the the cloud of the glory, the pillar of fire, salvations, healings, deliverances—all of that. It was awesome but that church missed God. I just felt the Lord prompting me as I, as we pray or whatever that he's really concerned about the fact that we've been praying for revival, praying for revival. But when it comes, are we willing to pay the price to see the harvest come in? Are we really will, really willing to pay the price to pray and fast and seek God? Are we willing to pay the price to host the revival and, and really do what we got to do to see this thing go forward or are we going to fizzle out and, and get tired and say, man, I just can't handle this too much, you know, and then God have to go somewhere else. I don't want to be that. Are y'all hearing me? So I want you to think about it for a minute, and let, let's ask the Lord about it, pray. But I want you to, to talk to the Lord tonight, and how many of you can say, Pastor Scott, I don't know for sure if I'm willing or not. I don't know. I mean, my flesh is weak, you know. But I want to be willing. I want to be a person God can use. I want to be somebody that can be sacrificial like that. I have that desire in my heart. How many can say that? Say, I want to be. Okay, most everybody. If that's you tonight, here's what I advise you to do. Pray tonight and say, Lord, I'm asking you for the grace to help me to lay down my life for your kingdom and for your glory and help me to do this. Give me the grace to be able to do this, to be able to sacrificially lay it down and be what I need to be. That when push comes to shove, the rubber meets the road, it gets difficult, that I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to walk out on you. I'm going to be faithful. Amen? So, but Zach, if you can play some worship, and I want us, for a few minutes, I want us to pray. Just find a place, please, no talking or anything. If you need to talk or something, please go outside. But I want us to pray and find a place where you can get on your face and talk to the Lord about this. Let's get real serious tonight with the Lord. And ask Him, say, Lord, help me have the grace.